0: Welcome to Chronically Chilled, where we chat about all things chronic illness. We're an underrepresented community in the media, and it's good to take this time each month to discuss some of these issues that are important to us. I'm Naomi Cheney. I'm here with my co-host, Mario Posega, and we're joined today by Elle Gibbs from People with Disability Australia, and we're going to chat a bit about the Disability Royal Commission, which is happening right now, and how chronically ill folks might benefit from engaging with that. Before we get into that though, we'd just like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging of the lands that we are respectively recording from. Uh, we're still recording from home, there is still a pandemic and we're not, we're not in the three CR offices just yet. So we're all on different, different parts of the country. Um, so I'm currently on the traditional land of the Bunurong people. Mario is on the traditional land of the Wurundjeri people. And Elle is hailing us all the way from the traditional lands of the Darug and Gundaruga people. Have I pronounced that correctly, Elle?
1: Gundangara.
0: Gundangara. Okay. We want to acknowledge that sovereignty of these lands was never ceded. They always were and always will be Aboriginal lands. Um, So, Elle, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks so much for having me, Naomi and Mario. I am really well, thank you. Although I feel like being on a chronic illness show, I should... uh, uh, it should be totally fine to say, but I'm pretty tired.
0: Yeah. So, just to, just to clarify, all three of us here actually do have chronic illnesses. With, this is very much self-representation on this show. <laughs> and um, so, Elle, you work for you work for People With Disabilities Australia. Uh, I do.
1: So, yeah, I'm the Director of Media and Communications, so mm-hmm. uh, my job is, is talking about disability uh, and or illness in, the pub- in public, uh, in the media. Uh, I look after lots of things, website, uh, I work with a great team around our social media and I help uh, the rest of the fantastic PWDA team to
0: talk about uh, the things that they're doing. And just for full disclosure, I should probably let the audience know that I am currently a part of that team as of a few weeks ago. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, just just so that people know what's up with that. Um, so, El, we know there's a there's a royal commissioning royal commissioning royal commission happening right now on uh, violence, abuse, neglect, and exploitation of people with a disability. Uh, can you explain a bit about how a royal commission works and what we might expect the outcomes of a royal commission in this area to be?
1: Sure. So one of the
0: reasons that we
1: campaigned for a Royal Commission in particular was that it, it's the kind of highest and best form of inquiry that we have in our political system in Australia. So a Royal Commission has a bunch of uh, powers uh, that a kind of different kinds of inquiries don't have. So they can call people before them like a court does. Um, they can demand evidence. They can... Uh, you know, force witnesses to come before them, all of that kind of stuff. So it's got a whole bunch of, of really amazing powers. And the reason that we campaigned so long for that particular mechanism, the Royal Commission, was that we know that for many people with disability, um, violence against us is really hidden and it is something that is really hard to talk about and to find information out about. So, um for people with disability for example say who live in a group home or in an aged care facility um, it's incredibly difficult to talk about what's happening to people um, without you know having things like their housing being threatened or anything like that so we wanted to have an inquiry that had the kinds of powers as we always say to shine a light and to open the doors because so much of the violence and abuse against us is hidden away and happens behind closed doors so that was really really important the other really important part of the the royal commission is that it's not just looking at say the disability service sector so not just you know day programs or sheltered workshops or special schools but it's looking at all settings so um so that what that means is you know abuse that happens against us say in hospitals or in the medical system um you know at school uh you know people talked about it in sporting clubs, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I think that um, the, the hearing that's coming up on COVID is a really good example because it's going to really cover a, a huge range of things that don't sit in what some people think is the traditional disability system.
0: So what are, what are some of the things, I know that you've, or well, we've recently done a, a survey on COVID-19 and people with disability, what, what were some of the things that came out of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that we did that survey was, um, I don't know about you two, but I had a pretty awful time during that first batch of the lockdown, particularly when um, all the deliveries stopped and it kind of lots of changes happened really quickly. And so uh, all of the systems that I used to, to maintain my life, for example, just disintegrated. Um, and I was hearing anecdotally from other disabled people um, that that was happening to all of us. So... Um, I really wanted to kind of get a sense of how widespread this was. Is this something that was happening to lots of other people? So we did a survey, just a quick one, that asked, um, you know, 200 people with disability what they said uh, and what had happened to them. And so people said that they would faced, you know, enormous increases in expenses, some um, for groceries, but also for things like medical medication and healthcare, mm-hmm. as well as access to hygiene equipment, so PPE, uh, The the acronym that we've all come to know, Personal Protective Equipment. Um, but also uh, that they'd found it um, really difficult to continue the supports that they needed. So um, I would found the same, you know, the person that comes and helps me at home hadn't been able to come anymore. Um, and that had made it really hard uh, for me. And so the same thing had happened to, to plenty of other people as well. We also asked about telehealth, whether people had accessed uh, telehealth. Um, And yeah, they'd used uh, GPs um, via telehealth and specialists, but also things like allied healthcare. So that was something that I was a bit surprised about, but it was great to see that people had still been able to access things like physio and OTs um, during the pandemic and hadn't had to stop using those stuff. So, one of the things, just before I go on, I just wanted to be really clear about. I call myself a disabled person, but I am a person with chronic illness, and I know that that's not always something that everybody does, mm. but I wanted to be clear that when I'm talking about disability, I do mean the social model of disability. So I am talking about um, uh, not any particular kinds of impairments. Uh, I am talking about the barriers that we face um, as disabled and or chronically ill people. So I just wanted to to make sure that because I think sometimes that... Um, disability language cannot always be um, as uh, welcoming, I think, um, as it could be. And I just wanted to make it really clear that I was being as inclusive as I can.
2: Yeah, yeah. Just a question, um, do you think that that's got some implications in terms of how people have engaged with the Royal Commission?
1: I do. I do. And I think it's a really um, important point to think about. Like. Um, how for us as people with chronic illness, you know, the things that we may have experienced as violence and abuse may be different than other people with disabilities. So I know for me, um, I'm going to make a submission. And that submission is mostly going to be about my experiences in hospital. So um, multiple, multiple experiences in hospital for very long periods of time. Uh, And so a lot of my navigation of the medical system has been deeply traumatising. And You know, I'm now, you know, a firmly middle-aged person. So, um, but I got sick when I was 19 and going into a system like that 30 years ago as a young person was extremely difficult. And I still remember very clearly what happened to me and how terrible it was. So I think that they're the kinds of experiences that I want to share with the Royal Commission because I know that for those of us who have to engage with the medical system over years and years, and in my case, decades, um, it, you know, the medical system shouldn't be traumatising, but for far too many of us it is.
0: I've actually been working on my own submission, and a lot of it is also similar to yours. yourself, focused on health. Uh, not not hospitals so much, but just GPs in general. Just my my experiences around that have been very much that GPs can be gatekeepers to services for people with chronic illness. And this is something I see in support groups a lot as well, is that you see people having unfortunate interactions with GPs who don't take things seriously or don't understand what the symptoms mean in a practical sense uh, in terms of the support that you need. And, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a gatekeeping happens there that I think fits into what the Royal Commission is trying to get at because it's it's basically it's neglect it's it's financial neglect it's it's neglect when it comes to the services that people need. So I think that's yeah I think it's really important that people with chronic illness do actually engage with this, whether or not you identify as a person with a disability, which which some people don't, and that's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd strongly agree with that, and I think that um, the difference it makes having a, a decent GP as someone with chronic illness versus just an average GP is profound and it Mm. doesn't, it shouldn't be like that. I think particularly if you live in an area where there aren't that many options when it comes to GPs or um, it's very difficult um, for you as a person with a chronic illness to access uh, GPs easily or to communicate about this stuff in a way that GPs need to understand. Like they have their check boxes that they need to know about. And I have found over the years that, Sometimes you need to use the right language and you need to um, be able to, to phrase things in particular ways. And, I mean, that is, as you say, Naomi, such a gatekeeping role. Like, instead of actually supporting and encouraging people to access things like chronic care plans or anything like that, you have to know that these things exist to be able to mm. ask for them, you know, whereas yeah. it should be that if you have a chronic illness, we should be supported to actually access things like allied health Uh, as much as possible because the preventative nature of that is so great uh, that there really shouldn't be barriers, particularly financial, um, to accessing those kind of services.
0: Cool. Uh, So on that note, we're going to take a quick break just for some community service announcements. So you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR 855 AM. We're here with Elle Gibbs from People with Disability Australia and we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. I'm Naomi Chaney and I'm here with my co host Mario Psega and Elle Gibbs from People with Disability Australia. If you've just joined us, we're having a chat about the Disability Royal Commission into violence, abuse, neglect, and exploitation of people with disability. If this is bringing up any upset or issues, issues for you, uh, please remember you can always call Lifeline on 131114 if you need support. We've just been talking about how some some people with chronic illness identify as disabled and some don't. And in that regard, it shouldn't matter. Um, You can still engage with the Royal Commission. Um, How can we actually go about doing that, Elle, if we want to let the Royal Commission know about some of the issues that have been affecting us?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few ways of making a submission. So if you feel comfortable to make a submission on your own, um, you could just go to the Royal Commission's website. Um, you could make a submission via audio. So you an audio recording or a video recording. Um, and I think that's particularly important for people who have um, chronic illness that has any kind of energy impairment. I think being able to do it as an audio recording rather than having to write something, I think, mm. is really important. Um, And there's forms and uh, details about how to do that in Easy Read and Auslan and in Plain English as well on the website, and in lots of community languages as well. Um, But there's also a whole bunch of funded supports through the Royal Commission that can assist you in making a submission. So there is um, free counselling available through the Blue Knot service. There's free legal support through the Your Story legal service. And then there's um, support through disability advocacy services. So, uh, like PWDA, we're funded to do disability advocacy around the Royal Commission in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, but there's lots of other services funded to do disability Royal Commission advocacy support and um, in Victoria. And they can support you to fill out the submission form and to tell your story But also and what our advocates are often finding is people are coming to them to say, I want to tell my story to the Royal Commission, but it turns out there's a whole lot of other stuff going on in their lives that they can use some advocacy support around. Um, Mm. And so people are able to get help on a range of fronts.
2: Um, What I find interesting about this Royal Commission is, um, one, it's dealing with disability, but it's also then dealing with violence and abuse. And sometimes it can be really hard for people who are experiencing any kind of violence and abuse to actually be able to identify and articulate it. Um, And I wonder if that's something that's come up kind of during um, this Royal Commission in terms of people making a submission and being able to kind of say, actually, what's been done here or what I've experienced is actually not okay, and it's this and this and this. Um, because I think people can find it incredibly hard to kind of identify stuff for themselves.
1: Uh, I think that is such a huge issue um, for many people with disability. Um, they may not recognize that what's happening is violence or abuse um, mm. or exploitation. I mean, some of that is because um, for many of us, uh, the forms of abuse that we can experience can be different to non-disabled people. So it can be things like removing a mobility device. So I'm going to talk about stuff that I won't talk in lots of detail, but I am going to talk about stuff that's a little bit upsetting. So just giving Mm. you a heads up and turn off if for a couple of minutes, um, but I won't go into too much detail. So, um, but some of that can be about, um, yeah, removing mobility device or, um, removing care and support, Um, it can be, uh, can look differently than abuse that happens to non-disabled people and so exploitation can be things like removing someone's bank cards and and having control of someone's money. Um, It can be about removing phones or removing access. Uh, It can also be about not explaining things and not letting people know that they have rights and that they have support. So, yeah, it's a massive issue and I think one of the things that we are concerned about and we have told, talked to the Royal Commission about that is there needs to be a really big outreach program by mm-hmm. the Royal Commission but also by us, by trusted organisations who can reach out to people with disability and talk about the different kinds of things that do happen to us. like. When I talk about some of my experiences in hospital, people talk about but I didn't think that that was about violence or abuse or mm-hmm. neglect and um, but then I you know but it is and it's really important that this stuff is counted um, and that it's not just you know we hear campaigns around domestic and family violence, for example. But we don't think about that happening in group homes or in boarding houses um, and not necessarily by partners. So um, there are a whole range of issues that are unique to people with disability um, that I think need much more explanation and much more awareness and much more kind of outreach into communities to talk about the fact that, A, this this is an issue, this is actually violence and abuse b this is what you can do about it to stop it happening and c this is how the royal commission can help um and i think that that's a really important next step that the royal commission really urgently needs to start taking um and that i'm really hoping that when the um, interim report comes down in october that the royal commission acknowledges this and acknowledges that they need to do a bunch of work around this and, and making sure that people are understanding both what violence is, but also what our rights are. I mean, if you're a person with disability who's gone to a special school, Mm -hmm. you've ended up working in a sheltered workshop, someone's probably never told you that you have rights and never talked to Mm -hmm. you about the fact that you can have control of your money and you can make decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, really important that this kind of conversation around what our rights are is part of the conversation around
2: the raw condition. Yeah, and... and and to provide some kind of environment where it's actually safe to be able to speak about this stuff because Absolutely. it's often so unspoken. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I also think that one of the things that I think it's going to be really important for the Royal Commission to understand is the huge power imbalances in our community. Mm-hmm. So for a person with disability who, say, lives in a, an unregulated boarding house, um, they live in a small room, they live with a whole bunch of other people, Um how safe is it for them to talk about the the abuse that they're experiencing? Mm. Um, And if that's the only place that they can find to live, the only accessible place that they can find to live, you know, the cost of them speaking out can be further abuse, but it also can be homelessness. And these are very real risks that people are being asked to take to talk to the Royal Commission. So one of the things that we're really looking forward to the government in the next sitting of parliament doing is bringing in some legislation to basically make sure that people can tell their stories safely, that can be confidential and, um, uh, we're really looking forward to that happening sooner rather than later, because we know that many people with disability uh, don't feel safe yet to tell their stories, mm-hmm. because they are worried about um, it getting out, and for the service provider that they're talking about, for example, uh, finding out that they've said these things about them.
0: So, in situations where someone's service provider is also providing their their living situation, so for example, in group homes, is there a way for people? Like if someone has that much control over every aspect of your life, basically, uh, confidentiality is one issue, but also just like some some people actually need help to do things like access a phone or access a computer. Is there any way at the moment that we might be able to reach people who actually can't access the technology to make a submission?
1: It's such a great question and I think it is really important that the Royal Commission acknowledges how hard it is going to be for some people to make submissions. Um, so this is one of the roles that disability advocacy can play and I know that some of our advocates are doing this exact thing, actually sitting with people and working through their submissions, uh, making sure that they can get them into the Royal Commission and making sure that they can do it safely and with the supports that they need but we need way more of this to be happening. So this is only just uh, kind of the tip of the iceberg, if you you like. Um, What we need is for there to be much more of these kind of services um, going in and doing proactive outreach into group homes, into boarding houses, into caravan parks, into the places where people with disability who have the least uh, are living.
2: Can I ask, um, so not all Royal Commissions are equal in terms of what resources are given to them? What are the resources like in terms of um, this Royal Commission and do you think it's it's kind of enough?
1: Yeah. Um, this Royal Commission's had quite a lot of resources put towards it overall. So the Royal Commission itself and then there's been quite a lot of funding Uh, gone to uh, Blue Knot for their um, free counselling services and to Legal Aid, I think it is, for the Your Story legal service, which is free legal assistance. And then there has been some funding that's gone to disability advocacy organisations like ours. Um, But I think that in terms of the scale of the issue... um, One of my concerns is that the Royal Commission hasn't been given enough time to do their job. Mm. And particularly with COVID, I think it's kind of like even the Aged Care Commission has been given an extra six months. And I think we really need to start talking around, do we need a bit more time for the Royal Commission to run and therefore some more money? Um, But I also think that we do need to do some investing in uh, the outreach around advocacy, particularly to some communities. So, uh, the Royal Commission's recently reported that only a tiny percentage of people with disability from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds have put in submissions and mm. same for mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people with disability. Now, this is not acceptable. Like, it is kind of, it, we have to make sure that the, this Royal Commission has whatever resources that we need to do to make sure people can uh, put in Um, their submissions and that they know about the Royal Commission so Mm -hmm. I think that this is um, going to be the next steps, I mean if I was in charge of marketing of the Royal Commission uh, which I'm not um, (laughs) I know what I would do but I think that uh, this kind of stuff where this outreach from everybody so that includes disability advocacy like PWDA um, is going to be incredibly important so uh, but COVID of course has made made things even more difficult. Um, So many people with disability have much less supports, uh, have got much less money, uh, and, uh, you know, in situations potentially um, where they're much less safe. So we heard a report this morning of 1,500 women talking about the huge increase in domestic and family violence. Mm. And we know already that women and girls with disability are far more likely to experience domestic and family violence. So we can only extrapolate from those figures that this is happening to people with disability now during COVID. Um, And so hopefully there will be some investing in finding that out. But I also really hope that people do tell the Royal Commission um, if this stuff is happening to you now, but also to talk about it if it has happened to you in the past. So. You know, I think everything from not being believed, not being supported, not being able to access help, um, to talking about living in poverty, to uh, talking about being on the DSP. I mean, I was on the DSP for many years. It's really difficult. (laughs) And um, uh, I think it's important for us to talk about the financial implications, um, impacts of having a chronic illness, um, of accessing allied health, those kind of things, because um, if the Royal Commission doesn't know about that, they can't make recommendations about it.
2: And, and I just, it's also just about if something just hasn't felt right. Like, you might not know how to articulate it all and, you know, all that stuff, but just something that you've experienced, if something just hasn't felt right, it's also important to kind of contribute that to the Royal Commission. Mm. or to get support to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. yeah, And even, I mean, take advantage of the services that are available through the Royal Commission, even if you Mm. don't end up making a submission. So there is free counselling through Blue Knot um, and there is that free legal advice and they'll be able to support you to talk about this stuff and to have a think about if making a submission is right for you.
0: So a lot of the outcomes that, PWDA is actually hoping for from the Royal Commission.
1: An end to violence against people with disability. I think um, for me, uh, one of the things around the 2015 Senate inquiry that I that I I watched and listened to all of that and I've read all of the reports from it was how pervasive this violence is against us. And that one of the fundamental reasons for that is that we aren't valued for who we are. And I think that one of the things that I want to come out of this is that we start to connect these dots, that we start to connect that, you know, us not knowing our rights, us not being um, included in society, us not being respected as people with disability and valued for us for us as people, um, that that directly contributes to this sort of violence against us. Um, and I want things like segregation to end, you know, that people with disability can live in the community just like everyone else, go to school, go to work, um, and have same access to things. So, I mean, we've heard already in one hearing that people with intellectual disability die 25 to 30 years younger than other people. Um, and don't have access to things like screening services and, you know, in hospital are told that their lives aren't worth living. And it's just, it's just horrific. So I want an end to all of that. And I want an end to, um, you know, people seeing us as as somehow not real or whole people. So, because we absolutely are and uh, we have value and we have strengths and we have, Uh, lots to offer just as, you know, people as we are, you know, right now. Um, Even if we are lying in our beds, even if we are like me, sitting here in my pyjamas at work, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I think it's important that, you know, us uh, as disabled people, as sick people, that we are included and we have value.
0: I want to thank you so much, Elle, for joining us today Mm -hmm. and going through all of that. I'm sure that's some very useful information and a lot to think about for everyone at home. And I want to reiterate, if this is bringing up any upset or issues for you, uh, remember you can always call Lifeline on 131114 if if you need that support. And Alice talked about Blue Knot as well, which is a counselling service which, which you can access as well. That's for free. To everyone at home, you've been listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR 855 AM. And if you missed out on the beginning of the show, the podcast will be available at www.3cr.org au and if you enjoyed our show and you got something from it and you want to support radical radio you can always support 3cr by becoming a subscriber or donating to the station appeal which you can also find on the website chronically chilled is on the air on the first wednesday of every month so until then look after yourself stay home wear a mask and we'll see you next month